I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Shots from Ben! Oh! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Henderson! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over. For the second week running, thank you, Richard Keyes, for saving me from a daddy discussion here between our fellow panellists. It's the Friday Football Podcast. Adrian with you. Dave... Hi Dave. How's it going? And Jerry Gilroy, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, we've known Nathan this week, he's gone off on his mini, sort of mini holiday. Um, and with great success last week with the podcast, the new format seems to have got down a treat in that uh, nobody kind of responded to it. I'm kind of taking that as a. Uh, an echo chamber. Totally. Uh, they did listen though. We don't really, if they're listening, week, we yeah. don't really care about the response. I think that kind of related to your story about uh, you were off in your you went in a junket last Friday afternoon and you uh, bumped into John Giles and Emma Dunphy. I planned bombing into it and you had a little story for us. So, junket, yeah. junket's a bit strong. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't I'm, like I was been was on an all expenses paid trip yeah. to the Emirates or something. Um, your microphone is very loud there, Dave. But we'll try and we'll try and manage that as that we uh, turn me down there as so. we uh, as we go on. Um, Ireland, Georgia, lads. I don't know if we're all are we Ireland, Georgia out at this stage. Jar's face suggests that yeah. he's completely Ireland Georgia now. Yeah. I've been listening to a little bit of coverage of it and reading of it and I, there's a lot of negativity around it. Um, oh, it's insane. I don't uh, like. I don't get it I have to say. <laughs> like, uh, when you're at, I was at the game and when you're there you're kind of operating this little bubble of not knowing what the commentators are talking about not knowing what the studio guests are saying and not really knowing what Twitter Sorry, is talking about because the Wi-Fi reception stop, is... Stop, you don't operate in a bubble you, you get to form your own opinions that's my point. free that's, from yeah, all that's of my the, point. the bullshit around this it. This is exactly my point. This is the... the Absolutely what I'm saying. You have to rely on your own brain. You do. And that's exactly what I'm saying, that you don't... So so ultimately what I think is that a lot of people watched the coverage and heard... Was it Ronnie Whelan and co commentary, whoever it was? And whoever's in the studio. And they ultimately dictate how people view that game. Whereas you're there, you, as you say... The main thrust of the coverage seems to have been, oh, that poor nice man, Tony O'Donoghue, attacked viciously, <laughs> savaged by this interloper who's getting paid two million quid. <laughs> was, the, was the thrust that I took from uh, does, idiotic fairness, rant. I would say that he does seem to have a bit of an issue with Tony I, would. I, don't, I don't think so I think I've watched it again and again and again and if you remember back to Colin Young sitting in the studio after the press conference where he was you better get used to lots of bad jokes yes from uh, Martin O'Neill because he thinks he's hilarious but actually he's not very funny at all and then you end up laughing at them yeah. because they're so funny that he thinks it's funny and I'm telling you that's all that this was yeah. uh, Tony look at you you know, I was with the negative Tony what's the story so it was, just, it was actually just a gag I'm it not sure that it was uh, there was no malice in it at all is that what you're saying I'm saying that there is not a bit of malice uh, I wouldn't agree I with would that. Malice, malice suggests that he's like you're out to get me and there's paranoia on the part of uh, Martin O'Neill, which there isn't. Because there doesn't seem to be the Martin O'Neill twinkle in his eye as he said that to Tony O'Donnell. What twinkle? Like the one that he, the one that he has he when he's doing... He a bit of a smirk or When a he's a doing co-commentary. But if you watch his post-match interviews, as all the Villa fans will have down the years, he's, he's interested in his football and he wants his team to do well and he wants to protect them. And that's his job. His job is not to... No, I don't think hmm. he was cracking gag. I think he was genuinely saying Attacking. to Tony O'Donoghue... Not attacking now, but generally saying to him that you are not pleased by this victory. Can I counter some of those points? I was doing the uh, Oman game for Satanta the other week and he came out afterwards and so that, that was where the live coverage was, so that's where he did his initial interview. And I'm not going to say he was... Uh, 
charismatic necessarily but towards the end of the interview there was absolutely a little glint in his eye there was he spoke about I'd asked him about the incision in the game and he'd spoken about the idea that well historically maybe Ireland uh, that's the way the Republic of Ireland are they're not a particularly incisive team and there was a little glint in his eye that was it was one you couldn't have mistaken Sounds it for like anything Tony to me you I couldn't would have mistaken it for anything but humour let me finish the point you couldn't have mistaken it for anything but humour and 30 seconds later he walked over to RT into Tony O'Donoghue and he was a completely different guy so you think it's a Tony thing? There is some. Like I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's malice. It's definitely not that. There is some sort of an issue. There is definitely some sort of I, an issue. I, I, whether it, whether it's directed at Tony, I think perhaps it's more directed at uh, at the panel actually. Well, in my opinion, maybe to sum up, everyone should be absolutely thrilled with the win, the quality, of the goals, going to somewhere which is notoriously tough to go, particularly in their first game at home and winning. But everybody's also equally entitled to question the performance and maybe try and pink pinpoint areas that need to be improved yeah, absolutely and I, that's it I, I don't think anybody yeah. has any problems with that I think though I think that we're always going to have areas we need to improve mm. and that's the, the base standard of where football for the Irish national team is at at the moment is so low and we're so depressed and uh, beaten down after the Trapattoni era that um, I, I, I certainly see the glass half full at the moment I'm very worried about the fact that Scotland were brilliant and balls out went for it against the world champions and almost pulled something remarkable off. Um, and I think that I would actually make Scotland the favourites to finish second in the group at this stage ahead of Ireland and Poland. Before we move on to the Premier League, yeah. and this was a point that was brought up on the show, and I don't know if you were in the presenter seat or was Joe during the week, but I am absolutely loving this new qualification format where we get to watch one of the home countries every night. I watch football every evening from Friday to Tuesday. Wait, you watch Wales, Albania on was I it Tuesday? Wales, I watched Wales Andorra. What a Andorra, better of a game. Yeah. Knowing that this was like a potential disaster. Particularly when I saw Bale equalise. That's when I definitely tuned in and said, I want to see if they get a winner here. Yeah. That was class. I thought England were excellent on Monday night. I watched the full 90 minutes of their game in Basel. And got glimpses of the Northern Ireland game. Saw a bit to Spain, Macedonia. Obviously got the second half of Georgia, Ireland. I, and I watched the Scotland-Germany game. Brilliant. Yeah. Loving it. And Scotland pretty good. Scotland were excellent and genuinely could have won the match. Play, like, like a sense that they were playing above themselves and this was kind of a one-off? Well, or no. no. I haven't seen enough of Scotland to know if this was well mm. above their... Uh, Beat Croatia twice. Yeah, and they had a good result against Belgium as well. I think that Scotland, if they continue to play like that, are going to be a major problem for us. But who knows, they just didn't maybe play above themselves because they were against the world champions and they might just come clattering back down to earth when they play Georgia, for example. But it was really entertaining stuff. All right, that's probably enough uh, Ireland chat then, lads. We can feel safe that we've solved all the issues. We haven't really spoke very much about the uh, actual setup of Martin Neal's tactics and all that kind of thing, but plenty of time to do that over the next little while as well. Um, we'll get to our trebles a bit later on, um, perhaps when we get towards the end of the podcast. I last, can't remember mine. Uh, I have them here, Joe. You're all right. 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 Uh, last week, we all... Uh, by the way, this is that was the third week in, and we are all zero. between four of us. No so one. four by three is 12, absolute zero. No winning bets. And and last week, uh, the three of us plebs managed to get all three wrong. Uh, doing trebles <laughs> is is actually a mistake because it means that you can only win if you get all three right. You got to do like, a, is it a Chinese treble or there's some sort of an Asian treble or there's some? I don't know. Yeah, there's I'm, some sort of a, a system whereby if you get one right, you get paid out for that. If you get two right, well, on the NFL podcast, you pick three, and you go three and zero for the week, or two and one for the week, or one and one and one for the week, and at yeah. the end, you actually have. It's a, yeah. instead of it being zero Americans always, Americans always have to have some sort of a payout you see they're not happy with just like, but that doesn't work if you're actually betting money no 
Unless it you're betting works singles. If you're keeping a league table up between the three or the four of us. Or if you're betting singles, of course. Yeah. In which case, in which case you'd actually be winning money if you were betting singles on yeah, the two Yeah, you'd have to put a bigger ones. stake in there though to make it even remotely worthwhile. Stoke City beat Manchester City last week and ultimately everyone I was listening back to it, Dave said, yeah, well, oh, this might be the accumulator buster. Was the comment you made, yeah? Yeah, I didn't include Stoke in my travel. (laughs) Uh, And anyway, that was the way it went. Nathan got one right, and uh, the rest of us got all three wrong. So, uh, well done to Nathan. We'll get to our picks for this week a bit later on. Um, But it does bring us along nicely to the early start on Saturday. Arsenal up against Manchester City. Uh, City after that one, they lost to Stoke. They haven't lost back-to-back games uh, since 2010. And one of those was against Arsenal. But somehow, I just suspect... Um, and expect this Manchester City team with the firepower they have to bounce back pretty uh, pretty rapidly by beating Arsenal. I don't know. This Stoke performance was so underwhelming, so static. There was nothing really decent about it. They have to play Bayern Munich in Munich during the week, so that's obviously on their minds as well. Um, they've lost uh, Stefan Jovic. It looks like he's not going to be playing tomorrow, so he's a big loss for them. And Arsenal's record at the Emirates Stadium, we kind of slag them off for how fickle and how poor they are mentally when they're on the road against the top teams. But last season, they weren't beaten in any of the games they played against the top six finishers. Yeah. Um, they picked up 10 points from the 15 on offer. And so there's no reason for us to think that maybe Arsenal can't get a result here. But and that's before we actually start talking about Arsenal's form. Yeah, Arsenal's form is terrible. The new arrival, Danny Welbeck, who's going to absolutely kickstart their season and everyone's going to spend well, the week talking about why Manchester United have sold one of their strikers to one of their rivals. That's not what they do. But nobody's kind of mentioned the idea that Arsenal have bought a Manchester United substitute, essentially. Uh, well, Daniel Sturridge was a Chelsea and Man City reject and obviously he's one of the best players in the Premier League now. So I, I'm, I'm not sure about... And the subs bench of these teams... You know, ultimately, Cesc Fabregas was a sub at Barcelona. He's pretty good. I'm not saying Welbeck, Cesc Fabregas. I don't think Welbeck's ever had a period of form. Sturridge went to Bolton on loan and played, I think it was 12 games, scored eight goals. He yeah. was just brilliant. You could tell he was going to be brilliant if someone gave him a chance. I don't, even if Welbeck played and started centrally for 38 games of a Premier League season, do you Will, think he'd score 20 goals? Uh, I think that he, all he has to do is score 15 goals and it's, it's a mistake because it's 15 goals that Arsenal aren't going to get from Sinogo. Yeah. Nine goals in around 25 Premier League games last season. Obviously not all of those starting. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. So that's actually his goal per minute ratio Colin was talking about uh, during the week is pretty good. So look, we'll see. I think if you're Arsenal you should start him but he probably won't. He's going to ease him in gently. Um, What's 29? the point in easing him in gently? Like he scored twice on Monday night. That's for England. He, he roughly did something <laughs> similar with uh, Henri to my recollection that he had... Um, I know. I know. Everybody talks about is it set was it seven Premiership games that he hadn't scored in, and I think including a Champions League match as well. But he roughly did something similar with Henri that he kind of introduced him at a leisurely pace. That he he didn't start him in every game over those seven matches. But I'm not sure he has the same options at the minute with Arsenal. He kind of needs to start. Well, maybe. Um, it, the, uh, the point you made about Arsenal's form being really bad. I'm not sure it is really bad. The uh, draw against Everton. Are, are Everton bad? I don't think they are. I think the draw against Leicester in that first five, six weeks of the new season, the team that comes up, are absolutely on fire with adrenaline. So I think that we just have to wait and see. Some of those results are going to look better as the course of the season goes on. The, the well, they were really poor on the opening day of the season against Palace. They were, they were lucky to win that game. They were solid but unspectacular in Istanbul against Besiktas. Could have been beaten at home by Besiktas. And... Um, then conceded the goals against Everton and Leicester. There's no form there to speak of. We're, we're on air. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Two um, all. Two all? Wow. 
Um, we take that. That'd be a big, yeah. big game. We've kind of big goals. S- since you were last with us during uh, 2012, as you uh, pointed out yourself, we've kind of stopped doing the predictions of the games. We're going to leave that for the trebles. Uh, but two-two is kind of an interest. I, I do expect City to win. That I have to say, but uh, Arsenal haven't lost at home since Villa beat them in the opening day of last season. That's stats, 19 games. Stats, which is extraordinary stuff as well for a team that we just associate with being really able to buckle under any kind of pressure only played City once of course in that time (laughs) lies damn lies and all that Liam Brady saying that uh, well back this week by the way is the new uh, honoree so we shall see about that (laughs) (laughs) he's only 23 by the way I'm completely paraphrasing he's only 23 there's lots of room for Danny Welbeck to get good uh, Chelsea against Swansea is uh, one of the three o'clock games on Saturday afternoon. It's the top two teams in the Premier League, which is kind of sensational. Uh, you do kind of sense maybe perhaps that one of them is punching a bo- little bit above their weight, but Gary Monk today named the uh, manager of the month uh, for Swansea. Yeah, congratulations. I, he should retire now, I think, and just it's be amazingly, happy for the rest of his it's life. It's the second time in the history of the Premier League that the top two have met this early in the season. And so it makes it a big game. Big game at the top of the table, Actually, albeit. Look, are you, are you not interested by this game? I think it's very interesting. I'm completely, yeah. Yeah, particularly if Diego Costa doesn't start. Because he has been prolific. There are four goals in three games. And Everton had 16 shots on goal against Chelsea. Until they, they made them look so vulnerable. I think the likes of Wilfred Boney could actually have a decent day. Until I see Diego Costa bleeding from an open, gaping wound, <laughs> I'm going to chalk him in as a, as a likely starter. He's, uh, he's got remarkable powers of recuperation. Uh, I do expect Chelsea to win this. But actually, Swansea have been better organised and uh, they've looked like a, a team who are a genuine team. They've done really good business in the transfer window and I think that um, this is going to be one of those one of those tests that determines whether or not Chelsea are the real deal at this early stage in the season. I expect Chelsea to win the league later on in the year to find a level of form where this, these games become a formality but at the moment they just have to clear their pipes a little bit yeah well 6-3 was a pretty good pipe clear against Everton the last day I think it's impossible to actually draw any conclusions from that game in many ways because I think at one point in the game things just got a bit crazy it was uh, it was so open yeah it was five goals in ten minutes or something yeah like unrealistically open in terms of ever happening again Sigurdsson was a great buy for, for Swansea and it looks like Gary Monk is getting the best out of some players that were so inconsistent like Routledge and Dyer have just started the season brilliantly yeah. Key and Shelby keep the ball really well in the middle of the field and, um, and he was on the way out at one I know, I know. for like he's, two million quid he had to really convince him that he was supposed to be there but and they it's almost like a free game for Swansea there's absolutely no pressure on them they've got a really decent run of seven fixtures after this game where they don't play any side that finished in the top eight last season so I think they can just go there and just see what happens yeah um, Sigurdsson's uh, presumably Sigurdsson sort of in the uh, Nemanja Matic channel uh, tomorrow afternoon he's been brilliant so far he's scored I think he's had four assists and one goal that winner against United included in that and perhaps Gary Monk is showing himself to be a guy you have just suggested that can actually get his team to play above where they are and that's essentially what you want from a manager he does uh, like the look of himself as well he had a look of him today in that photograph with the uh, you know the manager of the month award of a guy that kind of said Shit, what the hell am I doing here oh, this, I thought this he is kind of like, good but uh, I thought there was a, a, a Blue steel going on. <laughs> Work with me. To the manner Work with me, Gary. Well, he's looking more like a manager. I didn't really fancy the tight tracksuit bottoms look that he was uh, sporting in the first four or five games the of the Swansea Red. Yeah, now he looks like a manager. He's got, uh, he wears the odd waistcoat. He's got a nice sharp suit. He looks like a man who belongs there. Yeah, Boney, by the way, isn't back until Thursday, I think. T- he's not back till this afternoon, I don't think. This Actually, afternoon no, that's, uh, that's um, the Soak, Soak City striker. But he's playing Double in Africa on Wednesday. Say. He's going to be it's a tired out of it. 
Stupid question there, Dave. Uh, so that might have a bit of an impact on Swansea, how, get on, how they get on, but they are pretty well organised. That's Chelsea against Swansea. Uh, Crystal Ballas against Burnley. I'm sure you both want to spend a lot of time uh, trolling uh, through this one. These are the bottom, uh, bottom two teams. Uh, two losses and one draw uh, each so far. But Burnley's draw, of course, was against Manchester United. And again, talking about games that you really can't judge a team by, uh, that's probably one of those because who knows... Well. We, we, we perhaps think that United are going to get better but certainly the early few games haven't reflected particularly well on them they will get better yeah. definitely um, Crystal Palace going to be interested to see if Kevin Doyle starts <coughs> immediately and whether Zaha starts get because goals. he came off the bench in the last game and was excellent against Newcastle I, if, uh, there's talk this week that Zaha will start and he'll start in a central position because I think Shamak is injured so let's see how good he was should he somebody was convinced to spend money on bringing him to Old Trafford. Yeah, there was a lot of strange transfer decisions made at Old Trafford <laughs> in the last couple of years. I read um, read a few few previews of this this uh, this game uh, over the last little while, and Kevin Doyle wasn't mentioned anywhere. Interestingly enough, it's uh, kind of you know maybe he's just a squad player. You know, maybe that's and he's gonna have to fight tooth and nail to get into that team, and kill people. Yeah, well, have to scrap out of the way. Dwight Gale, like he's well behind Gale. Is, what is mm. it? He's six in his last eight games. And eight goals in his last six games, actually, in all competitions. He got four in his last two. And he looks like a real sharp, instinctive finisher. And he's going to be great, I think, because he's still so young. And if Palace can get the best out of him, they have a chance. Warnock is back there. Yeah. His first game at home since coming back for the second time. I don't know. There's a very good record that Palace have. It's an interesting one. They're unbeaten in the last eight games against promoted teams. And that includes four wins last season against Hull and Cardiff. 7-0 they won those four games. So they're uh, what are flat-track bullies. Is that what we call them? Can yeah. you actually possibly describe Palace no. as a flat-track bully? Because they're playing teams of their similar level. But I think Palace could go very well in this game. Hopefully Stephen Ward gets a start for Burnley. We could deal with him getting some mm-hmm. 90 minutes under his belt. Yeah. And Warnock, obviously, a guy as well who likes to uh, get the most out of his team. 95th. Something's gone wrong with the autocue at this stage, which is not really what you want to happen in the middle of a programme. Minute winner as a half score. Uh, levelers a half scored at Newcastle the last time. So that is Crystal Palace against Burnley. Southampton Newcastle could be a bit of a bit more interest about this one. And you talk about Irish players uh, trying to get a start. Your uh, Shane Long obviously is one of those uh, who we'd like to see after the couple of weeks he's had. I suppose in many ways. Is Shane Long going to be the guy who starts and tires the defence out, and then somebody else comes on, or is Shane Long going to be the guy who comes on for the last fifteen minutes and benefits from all the hard work that's been done by the. I don't know. I, I, look, Ronald Koeman has a very difficult job. Managed to keep Schneiderlin until Christmas, it looks like. Mm. Schneiderlin bitching and whining and moaning. But then but playing but, really well, actually. Playing well. Was he man of the match the last time? Again, got two against Southampton. He was yeah. class. What more do you want from him? If he bitches and whines... When was, when was that game? That was their last game. They won three weeks, weeks ago, just before the window when closed. Was, okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so events, dear boys, events. Yeah. No, I think, I think he's showing what all good professionals should show. And they signed Toby Alderweireld. Is that how you pronounce him? The Belgian guy from Atletico Madrid on loan for the rest of the season. Like He's played 37 times for Belgium. He's a good player. He um, won a La Liga medal last season. He's a really good addition to their to their defence. The problem for Shane Long is that Graziano Pelic got his first goal against West Ham and Long started He's a donkey. He's wide. a very large donkey, by the way. Well, That's he's the guy in possession of the he's number six nine foot shirt four, and I think I've said on this uh, podcast before, if the ball is anything above six foot five, he just has no interest in it. Forget about it. He's not going to score a huge amount of goals this season. Please play this clip back to me towards the end. <laughs> Neither will Shane 15. Long, though. Shane uh, Long has been two, has played uh, two hours of football uh, for Southampton, over two hours of football, and he's yet to score, but obviously not being used in his favourite position. And like it's the thing that we... Did miss a sitter against Liverpool. Yeah, one of his first touches. Yeah. Uh, 
it's the thing we've spoken about Welbeck, Rooney, like all these players, and ultimately sometimes you just got to suck it up and accept the fact that well, Ronald Coleman isn't necessarily going to play him in the, his favourite position. Mm. Um, so it could be wide for him. The other sort of talking point about this is uh, Mike Ashley apparently wants to sell a chunk of the club and take a bigger share at Rangers. Has there ever has there ever been... It's been the longest of long goodbyes between Mike Ashley and Newcastle. He's at various points. At one point, I seem to remember a few years ago, was it just before Alan Pardew signed that... It was it the eight-year deal or whatever it was? He had said, "That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here." And the fans rejoiced, and then he couldn't sell the club. Yeah. Well, I think it's a longer buy with Ashley and Pardew at the moment because surely Pardew's going to be the first man. Apparently, to go. two two games. There, this is this was also part of this report. I think it was in the Times this week. It might have been George Colkin actually that he's got two games. He's yeah, got this well, one and I think this Cole one might is be tough, the next one. And the whole game is next. They've got Stokes, Swansea and Leicester after that. So they're all games they should be taking points from, but they haven't won yet. And they conceded in the 95th minute against Palace. So if they don't get something out of this game and then against Hull, and incidentally, the last time they won away from home was against Hull. And that was the day that Pardew nutted David Myler. That was back in March. <laughs> and they haven't actually won a game away from Should we just use that as an excuse to get rid of him? Since then. Like, yeah. It was the perfect time. I don't, this, it doesn't make any sense. The owner doesn't like the manager even though he's given him this ridiculous contract. He's just committed gross misconduct. You walk into the dressing room Mm. and you go, let's have a quick chat outside. This isn't really working out for us. Now, I can pay you a little bit of compensation Mm. and say that this is mutual or I can fire you and we'll go through courts and you'll get whatever but you've just headbutted somebody on the touchline when you're supposed to be the manager. And why didn't you get rid of him? But he's done a good job. This is exactly, only, but like that's absolutely the point. Like Mike, I don't know if Mike actually factors those things into his plans or not. But like ultimately, if he as a as a pretty cold businessman sits down and goes, well, "Is this guy the best person I can have here or not?" Well, he probably is not a million miles I off it. I think he is the best man for the job. He, they, he's finished fifth in his first season, which is incredible. We heading at the last weekend, they had a chance of getting to the Champions League. Then they had to play in Europe, and they finished sixteenth. So it wasn't great the second season. Tenth last season. Like, what more do you want from a Newcastle club that have just been yo-yoing for the last fifteen years? Surely there's another Roberto Martinez out there who can take a team, builds consistently intelligently through the transfer window sell some players finance the club that way with that amazing support base he Surely. has brought players in and they've been forced to sell them for big money and he's still managed to keep them afloat yeah look there's there's been there have definitely been positives to what party has done but if the man if the owner wants rid of him which is if, is what we're saying Outside of his performances, he actually just wants rid of him. It's yeah, it's maybe. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to really struggle. Like they've, they've only got two goals this season, um, or three goals against Southampton, but two of which have come are against Palace, two which were defenders. No idea who's going to get the goals. This Riviere guy up front, I've seen him twice, not convinced by him. They haven't bought a striker. I anyone who Newcastle fans who would have watched Daryl Janrat's performance against the Czech Republic for the Netherlands during the week most ridiculous backwards header towards his own goalkeeper cost them the game they'd be worried by that as well I think Newcastle are in savage trouble and I'd be amazed despite the fact that I think he's the best man for the job if Pardew was still there at the end of October Could uh, it's an interesting point uh, you raised Jar, but uh, Roberto Martinez type that comes in and takes over like Newcastle fans aren't the most patient bunch uh, patient bunch you know he was at various other clubs to use Martinez as the example where they might have had reason to be a bit more patient with him and he's maybe given that a little bit of time Newcastle strikes me as the sort of club that Ultimately, they're not going to be particularly happy ah. with whatever's going on unless they're you know, playing brilliantly fluid well, football and winning matches. Yeah, But, but, that, but that, are they going to be patient enough to allow, allow a guy to come in, yeah. make this his team and build the players around that? Well, they will if, they, if, if 
if all of that is communicated from day one, you give the manager a, a contract and then you back him up. Pardew got the contract and then they didn't back him up. They didn't spend any of the Kabai money. There was a whole season where the only player they got was Remy on loan. And there was a clear sign that the owner didn't trust him even though he had that ridiculous contract. If you hire a brilliant young manager and say, the philosophy of football that we're doing is the managers and he explains it the way all these good young managers are capable of doing it and we're going to try and bring through far more players from the youth system than we have we're also going to continue to lean on our brilliant scouting network which has delivered us all these uh, transfer wins in the last five six seasons then we've got a very coherent consistent idea about where the club can go at the moment it's like the manager and the owner are at loggerheads and the future for the club looks relatively bleak despite yeah. all the positive things they have. Well, part, part of all that was that they obviously brought in a guy who hadn't a clue what he was doing in the transfer market. So there was not only... Kinnear. Yeah, there was a guy trying to... Like, like whatever whatever Alan Pardew was trying to do about building the team, I would imagine that was almost a roadblock to him. Well, but uh, doesn't Alan Carr's dad do all the scouting and isn't he the one who bought oh, all the yeah. French players? So, like, I, I don't know what... Well, whoever Kinnear's... it is, it, it's, it's clearly not... I think clearly Kinnear... not Pardew's, uh, Pardew's template. No, no, but and, and look, I, I think that English football gets hung up on the manager has to be the person buying all the players because mm. like it's not really the case. But no, it's it's true, but you also have to have whoever's buying those players has got to be on the same hymn sheet as the manager. Yeah, I don't think that Joe Kinnear was there to buy players. I think that Joe Kinnear was there to act as a shield for the owner who didn't want to buy players and you could point at him and go, well, Joe's my man, he's he out did, there in the field looking for me. <laughs> if that was his brief, he did that brilliantly. Yeah, I, 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 but like, honestly, I, I don't think, Mike Ashley is a genius businessman yeah. who, who was a, a billionaire on the back of England jerseys and, uh, and high top trainers. So, he knows how to run businesses. He also clearly knows how to be a bit Machiavellian about stuff. Young, young English, man, like available young English managers Tim Sherwood is. Uh, why, why would you go English? The <laughs> well, record is terrible. Who are these brilliant young managers? Tim Sherwood. Where, where did Diego Simeone come out of? Well, like, somebody did some research and thought, hmm. Okay, obviously he, he had a, an association with the club. But is he going to go to St James's Park? No, obviously Simeone's not the next Simeone. You can't go and say I want to have Alex Ferguson manage Newcastle. You got to find the next one. Well, many would say that Andre Villas-Boas was the next great young manager, and we saw what happened to him. Andre Vespos won a European trophy. Like he just and got, got bad sacked jobs. in his next two jobs. Yeah, bad, bad jobs. I don't think see the Newcastle been a great job. Well, part the been, point is that it could be a good manager. job with the right owner. He's been their best manager since Keegan. <laughs> Maybe Bobby Robson might have an issue with that, but he's not a rent to defend himself. <laughs> oh Jesus! Just laying in there. That's Southampton against Newcastle. One of the. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously nope. in inexactitude win. All right, let's get our final predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Three o'clock games <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, so then we go to uh, Stoke City. There is uh, some uh, uh, not all that appetising games, perhaps, in some respects. Uh, Stoke City against Leicester City at the Britannia might fall into that category. Only that Stoke beat Manchester City last time out. Um, and the two-week break... I kind of feel that it's ideal that they had a two-week break. That For they, Stoke, yeah. Yeah, that they kind of... Like, they're, they're rushing to a game um, the next weekend. It's kind of like, oh, we've just won this thing and it doesn't really matter what happens this week. Whereas uh, the assistant manager, Mark Bohm, was the guy who was offered forward this week and... I had to do the press interviews and kind of talked about there's been a bit of party atmosphere around here uh, for the last little while uh, but we have now been able to get that out of our system and it'll probably work in their favour I would think I think um, Mark Hughes is doing an excellent job although it galls me to say it because I don't particularly like him Yeah, he's not a particularly likable chap I think is the no, answer that, to that. that that whole sideline touching people's faces and then getting upset when someone touches his face and kind of trying to have a fight with the managers for no particular reason he's a slightly odd man definitely uh, and he was my hero 
as a kid Mark Hughes was Brilliant. I absolutely loved watching him play turns out he's a bit weird when he moves into the managerial side of things his yeah. team's playing well fair play to him yeah, they did very, very well, well last season I thought they were actually going to go down at one point uh, but Juff is the guy I was think, trying to think of earlier yes yeah yeah he's only getting in round about now we're recording this at 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon he still isn't back yet mm. in Stoke and like obviously his goal was just class Joe Hart notwithstanding do you uh, pick at him? the Etihad Stadium do you play him do you pick him Ah, you do. You want, yeah. Well, uh, Mark Bowen again has had a, has had a say on this, lads. I'll just read you a little quote here. He's not getting back until lunchtime today, as in uh, Friday, and will have travelled a round trip of something like 12,000 miles, and not in first class like he's used to, but economy. Oh, yeah. Well, why didn't so he just, he's got a slow. Why, why didn't he pay for his own, his own one, given that he's on 40 club, grand a week? Or the club pay. Someone that pay kind of made sense, wouldn't it? I'd be amazed if uh, Mame Biram Juff was on 40 <laughs> grand a week at Stoke. If he's on 10 grand, I'd be amazed. Um, what? Why it's would the Premier League? Be, there aren't forty grand Premier League footballers at every club, there up are. and down every squad. No, I would be astonished. Wolverhampton Wanderers, yeah, we're well, paying forty grand a week. Yeah, Wolves were. Yeah. I guarantee you, Burnley players aren't earning forty grand a okay, week. Okay, Palace well, players wouldn't be. Loads. And of I don't think Stoke are either. I'd say loads of Palace players are. Marwan Chabak, I'd say, is coining it in. Yeah, I'd, he would have been on really crap wages yeah. in the Bundesliga, Juff. And anything Stoke offered would have been a major improvement. He's a uh, former Man United, Blackburn, and more recently Hanover. Uh, the season before last was the best judge. Just having a look at this guy and trying to get a handle on actually how good can he be if he scores his amazing goal against Manchester City and shows the ability to score against a team like them. 15 goals. It was the season before last because I think he, he was pretty badly injured um, for most of last season. 15 goals in 34 games. Uh, yeah, he's getting a goal every other game in the Bundesliga. And that's for not bad for a team like Hanover, team. yeah. yeah. Um, I think a start and this starts a run for Stoke of seven really winnable games they visit Tottenham on November 9th but before that they could pick up a shed load of points and Leicester well they've done pretty well to pick up two points from the fixtures they've had to play because they played with Everton played at Chelsea and they drew with Arsenal so, and they come from behind to snatch 2-2 two, two draws against should Everton should have gone 1-0 up against Chelsea as well Absolutely. David Nugent sitter. yeah David Nugent how is he playing in the Premier League but they've got some good players and your man uh, now Ujoa. he's spent Uloa is it Ochoa Ujoa Ujoa he's got two goals already so that's a l- already large chunk of his transfer fee pretty much paid off Yeah, I think if you told them they'd have two points from the first three games they wouldn't be Overly displeased. Pretty happy, yeah. If uh, Juff doesn't start, by the way, John Walters could be the man to benefit. Well, he did start against City anyway. He did, but he was yeah. brought off after 45. Take any of that man. <laughs> no. Johnny was, Walters, and you picked him, even though you had that big row, Roy. That was interesting. He was brought off after 45 minutes, though, so it wasn't exactly like a you know rousing recommendation of, of the chap. And he's also been struggling a little bit with a knee injury, I think. Against Georgia. Time. Yeah. Uh, sorry, no, brought off after 45 minutes um, In his, for Stoke yeah. against City. But he, I was surprised to see Johnny Walters start for Ireland. Yeah. Um, I barely featured. had a little conversation with him in the tunnel at the Oman match and he was saying oh he was kind of a little bit of a grimace about had an injection in the knee not clearly not entirely comfortable with the thing tomorrow um, we will probably see Esteban Cambiasso play for Leicester oh yeah I'm looking forward to I that. think that's brilliant yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing him play yeah. in the Premier League he's not a write off by any manner of means no, he's he only played 34 like 30, 34 32 games, games in Serie A last season, season. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, he's it's got plenty to offer possible Leicester are going to be the Bolton of Ivan Campo JJ Okocha Maybe. Or the Roberto Mancini who arrived at Leicester at around the same time as Stan Collymore played about six games and then fecked off back to wherever he went off I don't remember those games. (laughs) Uh, Sunderland-Tottenham. We've got to kick on. Roy Keane has already given us our marching orders on that one. Sunderland-Tottenham at the Stadium of Light. It's another one. There's lots of games at three o'clock on Saturday. And a small bit of a reality check for Maurizio Pochettino and Spurs against Liverpool last time out. They lost 3-0. Thoroughly outplayed uh, for most of that game. 
And again, Tottenham struggling against one of the big teams in the league. Last season, they took just one point in all games against the eventual top four. And when you look at his team lineup, which I've done over the last little while, they're quite clearly now again a manager who has the ability to get the best and more out of his players, but from man for man, they're not a top four, even five team. You might suggest Emmanuel Adebayor is essentially what all this rests on. He's their sort of one standout, if you want to use that uh, phrase, striker. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't go to war with Manuel Adebayor on my team Soldado scores less than a goal every three games and Harry Kane he's only 21 and he might turn into a bit of a player is it possible um, that Soldado improves under this manager and he's the striker that they paid all the money for is he that hasn't possible? shown any great appetite to play him that's the only thing there are a few games in and he's tending to go one striker up front he's playing some sort of combination well Lamella is sort of more on his plans than Soldado would be I think Soldado got 28 La Liga goals the season before he signed mm. what has gone wrong with him they're not playing to his strengths. Does he not have the appetite to play in the Premier League? Does he not have the mental uh, or physical ability to play in the Premier League? I never League? buy that idea of, you know... That, that, that the league doesn't suit him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, he doesn't have the appetite to play in the... Of course, he's got to have the appetite. Eric Lamella, though, has been a bit of a success story for Tottenham yeah. this season. He's played brilliant for Argentina Well, he was supposed to be Gareth Bale well. last season. That was the idea that... Here's a new Gareth Bale. And then it turns out that he wasn't, but actually went away and bulked up a little bit over the uh, close season and is having much, uh, much more of an impact and could actually be uh, central uh, to Tottenham this season but I, I, I think feel, I feel a bit of sympathy for Pochettino I have to say I think the better than they were against Liverpool I mean the penalty was so stupid just the tug on the shirt of Joe Allen yeah, at one are nil, they better though? well at 1-0 there was that extraordinary save from Simon Mignolet from the shot from Nasser Chadley that goes in and it's one all. Um, that game could have, because I don't know where Mignolet sprung from to put that out for a corner kick it was an incredible stop that might have changed the game a little I don't think they were as bad now Liverpool fans might argue Balotelli could have had a hat-trick in that game mm. and it could actually have been a far greater mauling than it turned out to be but they're going to have a, it'll be a real test for them against Sunderland who are sort of still hit and miss you wouldn't know what you're going to get from them yeah I'm, I'm predicting Sunderland winning this one they were actually Spurs were in for Welbeck and it kind of struck me that it would have been that would have been a good fit you know there wouldn't have been half as much of the sort of hurrah that there's been around Danny Welbeck going to Arsenal, for example. I think he dodged would have been talking there. about, But people would have been talking about what a great get that was for Spurs, for example. Well, Balotelli would have been better, wouldn't he? Value, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. cost the exact same, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. I don't know. At least what you know you're going to get. Who would you pick? Because we asked Giles this question and he was like, oh, give me Danny Welbeck. You know, I've always get. liked Welbeck because he gives you absolutely everything he's got. He's limited clearly and I, but I think you always know what you're going to get from him but Balotelli, God knows, he could just throw a strop in the first five minutes and not shake a leg for the rest of the game. He definitely wouldn't be a Gilesy kind of player anyway. That's no, but he might, be, sure. might be a Pochettino might be capable of doing something, you know. Yeah, get the best out of him. Uh, Balotelli, another guy who could have scored in his uh, first couple of touches as well. So that is... Uh, Sunderland Tottenham. Sunderland Tottenham. And there's just uh, one other... I mean, come on, what's going on? One other game at 3 o'clock on Saturday, which is West Brom up against Everton. Here's my stat of the week, lads. Romelu Lukaku has yet scored a Premier League goal for a club that owns him. <laughs> it might be the most ridiculous stat you've ever heard. I completely like pointless. That. But it's a bit of a beauty, isn't it? I like that, yeah. Is it, is it possible Lukaku has regressed? I mean, he hasn't been amazing just yet, has he? Well, uh, no, but... Everton have scored seven goals in their three games. Only Chelsea have scored more. They're the second highest scorers in the Premier League and yet they're fifth bottom in the table. And they've equaled the all-time Premier League record of the most goals conceded after three Premier League games, yeah. which is 11. I don't understand what the hell is going on with Everton at the moment. He continues to pick Distan 
at the heart of the defence even though John Stones is clearly a better defender than him now and Stones was excellent at fullback in well, just Switzerland Jack as well. we've, I know we've had the distant sort of being 32 be, oh, he's 30, at least 35 yeah. if not 36 but, he's but still, still quick though yes yeah, yeah, um, yeah. is what 31 yeah. And he, but he obviously had a couple of really bad injuries which kind of wrecked last season for him but it's hard to know where I would think that Everton's Champions League hopes are already gone yeah, like that. That assumes that the four teams who made the Champions League last season are all going to perform at exactly the same level. You got to assume City and Chelsea do, and that's the top two spots gone. Arsenal have six defenders on their books. Yeah, I heard you saying that the other night, and and wow. most of them aren't great. Uh, and Liverpool have. Let's just wait and see how good they are in and how well they deal with two tor- two tournaments simultaneously. Well, they take on Wolfsburg on Sunday night. They're also in the Europa League group with Lille. It's a really hard draw for them. I can't see Everton being able to keep themselves going, to try and get into the top four. I said, get in board. And get out of that group in the Europa League as well. Do you, if you're Everton, just go balls out for the Europa uh, League? We've been discussing that in the pod for the last yeah. couple of weeks. That There's a tipping point. There's going to be a date at some stage this season where Martinez slides off the Premier League. Cliff and throws every egg he can possibly find into there the There are a couple of decent basket. analogies right there, aren't there? <laughs> I've uh, managed to mash them together. <laughs> but no, the they, eggs off the cliff, yeah. There will be a point where he goes, there's no way we're finishing the top four, yet we're still in the Europa League. Let's just abandon the Premier League and just go everything We haven't Europe. had much time to speak about Ed McGeady, and we're not going to do it. You'll have to tune in uh, Saturday afternoon to get to grips with What I am that. looking forward to seeing, though, is potentially in Everton lifting the UEFA Cup or the Europa League title and Manchester United having snuck into the top four with an injury oh, time winner on the base. last day of the season mm-hmm. and they end up in the Europa League themselves. That'll be pretty funny. Right. We've lots of time to get through all that. Liverpool against Aston Villa is the late game on Saturday evening and uh, Jack Grealish is a fake paddy, apparently, uh, from their <laughs> recent game against Hull City. Sectarian abuse. Yeah. By all accounts, it seems like uh, Stephen Quinn is the guy at uh, fault here that... Uh, went in a crunching tackle which he got booked for on Jack Grealish and then turned around to him and called him a fake paddy like a bit of football the old bands on a football pitch I think people are reading a little bit too much into this one oh, I don't think so really? yeah so if you if you're one of the Armagh players that was abused by one of the Leash Gaelic footballers allegedly that time uh, called an orange bastard basically yeah. uh, and then you come off and you complain about it and everybody goes well the Leash guys obviously are uh, anybody who would use that is idiotic I actually think anybody who is Irish, who turns around to somebody who's playing football for Ireland underage and calls him a fake paddy, is idiotic. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, it doesn't allow for the nuances of what happens in a football match. Yeah, but... so uh, The, the nuances of what happens in a football match allow Luis Suarez to go, oh, it's a term of endearment in <laughs> my hometown. I think... I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't agree with that. I have to say. Wally said it was just a bit of verbals, a bit of sledging on a football pitch. I'd have to agree. I'd have to go with that. I'm yeah. sure Stephen Quinn met Grealish after the game in the Players' Lounge. I don't think players go to the Players' Lounge anymore. If they did, they'd be chatting away and Quinn would probably say, yeah, look, it's a great setup. Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane, come it, on. It's always pretty easy for the white middle-class male to uh, say that anybody who is abused who is other, ah, it's just a bit of bants. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Well, it wasn't like he insulted his mother or his sister yeah, or his actually, wife. That'd actually, be better. Actually, what I'm saying is that we <laughs> just don't know. My point is we don't know. Like, ultimately, we, we don't we know don't that know. it was banter. We don't know what it was. Well, That's really the point. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, can't, we, we can. We, we know can that you can't say these things. And like, so I made this point on the show on Thursday night. There's a there's a guy whose identity at the moment is up for grabs. He's thinking about it deeply. And you turn around and use that against them. Issues of race and identity. These things are are tangled. And if you're going to blunder in, like. What what else is what else is the reflex response? 
that that whole field. What what if it's a gay player? What if it's it doesn't allow for know, the fact that we don't know. We don't know that we know. Like, we know he said it. Right, but we don't know. It. But we don't know that he there's said it with not a some sort of pre-existing. He, did he show the same aggression that Martin O'Neill did to Tony O'Donoghue? That's what we need to find out. <laughs> we don't know that there isn't some sort of a, like <laughs> poor you know, Tony previous knowledge, previous incident between these two guys. We don't like them. Maybe they're a bit why, friendly. Why, is that, why does any of that matter? Well, like, let's say they're a bit friendly. For example, I'm just throwing that out there. We don't know that they are. It's quite possible that they're not. But let's say they are. It's a joke. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think they are. No, <laughs> no but I'm just. This is the point. We just don't know. Like, well, they've imagine. never been in Ireland squads together. There's yeah, a significant difference in it's, age. It's, my point is, it's more more than likely they're not. But ultimately, we just don't so know you, the nuances of how this think, came you about. You think abusing somebody uh, in those terms, which are specifically loaded with uh, race and identity, is acceptable? I'm. I no. I'm saying that. I'm ultimately saying that we don't know the context of it. But. That's of course, there's a context to it. It's not, it's game, not, I, you can say things. Whatever you, can you say want. Far worse things. Look, I've come close to saying really sh- horrible things on a football pitch. <laughs> you were just about to say shitty things, were you? No. All right. Okay. <laughs> on a football pitch that I would have, have, have not stand over in any way wouldn't mean in any way. I can't. I'm not going to say it because I'd probably lose my job. But I just think Stephen Quinn is probably more worried about the fact that Grealish goes into the squad significantly less, lessens the chances of him actually getting into the team. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Which is even worse. Because <laughs> it's premeditated. My point is we just don't know and we can't jump to a bunch of conclusions from something we don't know. We haven't even spoken about Liverpool. I'm jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers pretty pissed with England after Daniel Sturridge picked up an injury uh, during the week. He played in that friendly against Norway and that was a tie strain and is out for apparently three weeks. Please. It was just banter. I said, I know. That was a pretty appropriate uh, interruption yeah. there. Uh, Sunday's our live <coughs> game, Manchester United against QPR at Old Trafford. Dave and Stephen Reid will be there. And uh, Stephen should have very good knowledge of Manchester United, is what I was thinking. Because I, I thought, well, he played against Manchester United the last, last day. Uh, but he came on for two minutes. So, yeah. uh, and got booked. Not time to get booked. booked. Yeah. But he came on to you know, secure that point, mm-hmm. lock it down. Yeah. I can't wait for Sunday. I, I, I cannot wait to see exactly who's going to start this game for Manchester United. I won't. I can't recall a more anticipated team sheet. Blinden Herrera in the centre midfield. And does he play? Rojas, left, Rooney left, and left what's, what's Herrera's? What's his his midfield philosophy? Is he a sort of try and get forward sort of guy? He's or? a tidy midfielder. Sits about ten meters inside the opponent's half. Right, very well, similar to Mich- very similar to Mikel Arteta. Yeah. He's probably not going to win many tackles, and he's probably not going to open many defences. So I'm not quite sure exactly what Herrera is he going can, to bring. He can play wide or he can play as a number 10 was what um, Guillaume Balaga and Guy Comandiata told me at uh, a thing we did. They were very impressed with him. Is that not a bit... F- because Daly Blind is essentially going to sit directly in front of whatever sort of defence he goes with. Is it possible Daly Blind is a third centre-back? It is quite possible. possible. He, can, yeah. he can play left-back, he can play centre-back. So and Rojo, Blind and then one of the centre-backs, maybe Smalling and... Sean Raphael. Yeah, and that's five across the back and then that's if he got, sticks with the three you've got room for Di Maria well he's got to stick with the three hasn't he that's I mean that's I been his, that's been ultimately his philosophy up to now it's Di Maria Rooney and one other behind either Mata or Fletcher Van or Herrera well is Mata no, not the player that is it is Mata not the player that loses out here that probably like I, like I say who knows yeah. I think Blind is one of the key signings that hasn't really been given he could turn out to be a proper Manchester United player I think is the, uh, yeah. the Rojo and Blind if they turn out to be good yeah. signings they will have as big as if not a Vidic bigger impact 
then possibly. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's going to be. I don't know if centre back is going to be his thing. Frank de Boer worked on sort of doing that Philip Lamb thing of turning. But if him he into anchors the midfield, central uh, uh, the, that sort of holding midfielder. That's the same position, isn't it? If you're playing three at the back in some ways. As a defensive uh, midfielder, yeah, I mean, like, isn't that the whole point? Three at the back that 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 isn't somebody who's wasting his time. Well, not the way on United's the three have played in the first three games well, because they've all stood together on the edge of the penalty area. No one has actually stepped out to take on. Like when you saw you saw Wilfrey Boney <coughs> in the opening match of the season, he just stood between midfield and the three at the back for United. And every time he received the ball to his feet, he had about ten square meters to turn into. No one went with him. So, if you're right. Someone hasn't told the likes of Phil Jones or Chris Smalling about it. Yeah, well, they might not be smart enough to take it on board. <laughs> That's a very likely possibility. Really? No. Manchester United against uh, QPR then is our Sunday match. Dave and Stephen Reid will be on duty there. And I have somewhere... <laughs> there is a game on Monday. Yeah, I have them here. I know Hull are playing. Yeah, Hull are playing, uh, I'll tell you now, playing West Ham. West Ham. On, oh, uh, a dinger. Night, yeah. So the uh, troubles from last week, as I said, went pretty far south. I'll start off with my ones for this weekend. I'm going for Everton, Liverpool, and I'm going for Manchester United, uh, all of which will come in on a treble at just under 4-1. to one. <laughs> Four to one. Listen, are you sure? listen. I, I don't think that's four to one. It is. Is it not? Yeah, like ten to three. Three point eight. Yeah, that, just under four to one. No, three three euros and eighty cents. Minus your one. Uh, what? Yeah. Minus your stake, so it's probably closer to two point eight to one. Grant, yeah. move on, move on, move on, <laughs> move on. <laughs> Mine is a cast iron eight to one, and that doesn't include my stake. Everton, Stoke, and Southampton. It's an eight to one. Yes. You sent it. Are you sure? I'm absolutely Go sure. On. Uh, I can't remember when Sunderland. Uh, you've Sunderland, Stoke, and Liverpool. You're eight and a half to one. Yeah, is what you have. Because I can work the odds. And Nathan, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan. No, these are the, I've worked out Nathan's odds, so they are open to uh, contradiction. Everton, Stoke, and Spurs is uh, what he's gone for. David um, Fies, is it? Nine to one. It is <laughs> lovely. <nine> to one. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to get the calculators out again. Lads, pleasure as always. Enjoy your weekend. Cheers, Thanks boys. very much.